I must confess that I learned a valuable lesson recently. In fact, I remember where I was sitting when I had just agreed to preach today while Chris was gone, was going to be gone at the father-son retreat. And as though it were my first time around the block, this one little word with two letters, Chris said, I'll let you know later what the passage will be. And I said, okay. Turns out it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, you know, you remember that one, right? The one about tongues and healing and miracles and spiritual gifts? Yeah. No, all kidding aside, um, it's an incredible privilege to be able to preach. And this passage is a really important passage. And I really, truly do not believe it's an overstatement to say that this passage is probably the most abused and misused passage in all of Scripture. I've heard in this last week two instances of such cases stemming from what is taught in this very passage. And so we definitely need the Lord's help to study this passage and learn from Paul's writing. So I'm going to invite you to join with me as we pray and ask for the Lord's help um, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you intended us to have it and to learn from it and understand better who you are, what you have done, and how you desire us to respond to you. So Father, this morning I pray that your spirit would help us please to understand 1 Corinthians 12 well. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to apply these truths to our lives. And I pray that we would honor Christ through how we live. We need your help to do that, so we ask for this help in Christ's great name. Amen. Chapter 12 is a little bit of a long one, so we're going to primarily focus on the first 13 verses, verses 1 to 13. So I'm going to invite you to stand and read with me or follow along with me as I read, I'm sorry. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and so I know some of you don't have that, and so I have put the words on the screen if you would like to follow along there. Paul begins, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. 
still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. So in this passage, really this passage is part one of three. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are clearly a unit. They carry some singular focus and thoughts through them. And we need to understand the context just a little bit of what Paul's trying to do. And in verse 1, he gives us a hint there that he's responding to a question he's received from the church in Corinth. It seems that the church in Corinth was a little overly preoccupied, too zealous and too passionate about speaking in tongues. So much so that it was confusing and disorderly and people didn't know how to understand what gifts had been given and which ones were the most important or how they should be used. And so here in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul is going to respond to this question he's received from the church in Corinth. And really we're going to be looking at four portions of chapter 12. And in the first one, Paul's going to lay out in verses 1 to 3, what are the boundaries of spiritual speaking? He begins with what is probably the past of many of the people in the church in Corinth with verse 2, saying, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept away in worshiping speechless idols. And Paul elsewhere in this chapter has already referenced how idols are nothing, they are mute, they are unresponsive and unable to do anything. And Paul may very well be making a point that the way in which the Corinthian church was gathering together and really misusing spiritual gifts, specifically speaking in tongues, may have resembled the relentless and unintelligible mutterings that pagans do to try to urge their idols to action much like we see with Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. Then in verse 3, he tells us that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And a lot of people have wondered, were the Corinthians gathering together and cursing Jesus in church? That doesn't seem possible. That seems very unlikely. What this is probably referring to is Jewish people who had not accepted Jesus as their promised Messiah who would be prone to curse Jesus. And Paul is using the cursing of Jesus as a point of sharp contrast with what comes next in saying in verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul's doing in saying that is only those who can say, who can confess, and who can mean Jesus is Lord are able to do so by the Holy Spirit. And so this establishes some boundaries, if you will, that regardless of how speaking to or about God takes place in corporate worship, 
as Paul will be addressing in the, this chapter and the coming two, regardless of that, it's important to keep the big picture in place that only those who have the Holy Spirit can say, Jesus is Lord. Then next, in the next couple of verses, Paul is going to establish the source of spiritual gifts before he really gets into what are these different gifts and listing them. So in verses 4 to 6, listen for the Trinitarian emphasis that Paul has here. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And we know that from even verse 3, saying Jesus is Lord, Lord is a common way of referring to Jesus and the understanding that he is the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Son who became like us in every way that we are except without sin. And then when Paul references the same God, Paul is often one to talk about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that here Paul's trying to make some sharp distinctions between gifts or service or the workings of the Lord, but I think all three of these things blend together harmoniously that the gifts that come from the Spirit enable the body to serve one another and do the work that God has given us and accomplish the work that God is doing in and through us. So Paul's established the boundaries of spiritual speaking, and then he's established what is the source of all of these spiritual gifts. And if we lose the source, we're going to be confused about what the gifts are. And I believe that Paul's also making a point here that really the beauty and uniqueness of our God as three in one, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the very reason that we should expect to see a variety or multitude of gifts that the Spirit gives to the body for the body to use to help each other. Furthermore, this establishes the right arena in which the gifts of the Spirit are to be used, that they are to be used within the body of Christ. There's no place for using the gifts of the Spirit outside of the church because they are given for that very purpose. So with that in the forefront of our minds, sort of as the foundation of Paul's further discussion of spiritual gifts for the rest of chapter 12, for chapter 13, and chapter 14, Paul's going to get into the spiritual gifts. As we've just stated, there's a diversity of gifts. And these spiritual gifts are grace-given gifts or abilities that God gives to the church to accomplish his, to accomplish his purposes in and through the body of Christ. Paul establishes very clearly their purpose in verse 7. He states, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. The purpose is to help one another in building up the body of Christ. And we're going to see in the coming chapters that that is incredibly important as far as orderly worship when gathered together. So this list that Paul's going to give Paul's not going to make an attempt to list every possible spiritual gift. In fact, there's numerous other places in Scripture where Paul lists spiritual gifts. He even does so again in this very chapter, chapter 12, and he lists them differently and in a different order and in a different way. So Paul's concern is not to answer every question we have 
about spiritual gifts. But he's addressing the specific misuse of spiritual gifts that was taking place in the church in Corinth when they were gathered together for public worship. So then, in verses 7 to 11, he lists these different gifts. He begins with wise advice, or some translations say a word of wisdom or an utterance of wisdom and special knowledge. Now, it doesn't seem that Paul is making a sharp distinction between these two things. And in fact, later on, in I believe chapter 14, Paul's going to talk about the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, and prophesying in a very fluid way. So there's probably some substantial overlap here. But Paul, in this very letter, in chapter 2, has explained that the wisdom of God is the mystery which has now been revealed, made known, which is Christ crucified. So it's very likely that a word of advice or wise advice and special knowledge are explaining the mysteries of Christ, proclaiming the glories of our crucified Lord, and explaining the mystery that God has made revealed in and through his word. Then Paul addresses great faith. Now, because the context of this is those within the body of Christ already, it's very unlikely that this is saving faith, but this is probably a profound and deep trust in God to accomplish his purposes in the world, to fulfill his promises, and for him to provide for believers. Then he lists the gift of healing. Now, as I stated at the beginning, there's a lot of misuses of this passage. And I believe the gift of healing is probably the one that has been the most shamefully misused. There are a number of people who claim to have this gift of healing, who set up ministries that are very, I believe, self-aggrandizing or self-centered. And so often the conversation goes something like this. You would be healed if you had enough faith. You will be healed if you sow a seed of faith by giving financially to this ministry of this person. And if you're not healed, it's your fault for your lack of faith. I believe incredible harm has been done by those claiming to have this gift of healing. It seems to be the case that here in chapter 12, Paul is stating that each instance of someone being healed is in and of itself a gift from God. But we need to look at healing with the whole counsel of Scripture. I believe it is good and right for us to pray for healing. And in fact, in James chapter 5, James says that if someone is sick, you should come and have the elders lay their hands on you and pray over you. And that is a fine thing to do. But we need to remember that when we pray for healing, Jesus healed people. But that was not the most important thing he did was healing physical sickness. The most important thing he did was heal our spiritual condition of being separated from our Heavenly Father by our sin. And we also need to trust that when we pray for healing for someone we love, that for many times the ultimate healing for that person will not take place until they see their Savior's face in glory. Paul then addresses the power to perform miracles. And it doesn't seem, again, that there's a sharp distinction between miracles and healing because healing would clearly be 
a miracle, but it seems that miracles pertains to anything other than healing that would be this um, powerful demonstration of God's working. This might have looked like casting out demons, but this could also very much look like the miracle that has taken place in the lives of the believers in Corinth as well as ourselves when we have had our spiritual blinders removed and we are able to see Christ for who he truly is. Then Paul lists the ability to prophesy and the discernment of spirits. The ability to prophesy, in the Old Testament, there's many instances of prophets coming as a messenger to God's people, proclaiming a message to them from the Lord. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have many of those prophetic oracles in our scriptures. And so I think it's important to keep that in focus as we look at what the gift of prophecy looks like within the church gathered together. It doesn't seem like it could be new revelation or new inspired scripture because the scriptures we have are sufficient and exactly what God has intended us to have. It seems rather that it's more of a word from the Lord to the congregation. Often prophets pronounce judgment or a message of salvation. So this is probably a spiritual message completely in line with what the rest of scripture teaches. And we know it's probably not new revelation because the very next gift that Paul mentions is the ability to discern the spirits. And elsewhere in chapter 14, verse 29, Paul's going to say that when someone prophesies, when the congregation is gathered together, someone else's job is to evaluate that prophecy or that message to the congregation and make sure that it is in line with Scripture and that it is good and true and accurate. Then Paul gets into it. Unknown languages or tongues and the ability to interpret unknown languages. We're going to talk more about tongues in just a moment. But the ability to interpret these unknown languages of what is being said, Paul clearly lists as a gift, which indicates that when someone is speaking in unknown languages or tongues, that it is unknown and mysterious what they are saying. So now I'm going to speak about tongues, and I'm calling this a preview of unknown languages or tongues for a very specific reason, which I will mention momentarily. Here's a couple things I think are really important to remember when we're talking about tongues. First of all, I believe that the coming of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2 was different than what is happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The reason being, the book of Acts is an incredibly special moment in the history of redemption. Jesus told his disciples before his death, it is good for you that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper. And then after he rose from the dead, he tells his disciples, wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they do. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes down like tongues of flame and the disciples are preaching the message of Jesus and him crucified and risen again. And we see that the Holy Spirit enables all the people who are there, people from all over the known world, different countries and regions, they're all able to hear this message being spoken and understand it in the language or tongue that they know best. I believe that was a unique miracle of the Holy Spirit. But here in chapter 12, Paul is basically saying when tongues take place or someone speaking, the person speaking doesn't know what they're saying and the people who are there don't know what they're saying. 
thus the need for the gift of the one who can interpret what is being said. So I believe there's something different happening here than in Acts chapter 2. Furthermore, I believe that speaking in tongues in no way confirms or validates the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is not uncommon for some mission organizations or even churches to say that people must speak in tongues to show they've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I was at Moody Bible Institute, I went to school with a a dear friend who had served with one of these mission organizations. And in their missionary preparation, they had to pair up and then they had to speak in tongues to show they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I asked my friend, what did you do? He said, I made a bunch of stuff up. I didn't know what to do. And I don't recommend that, but honestly, I think that just shows that it's a problematic understanding of this passage to say that everyone needs to speak in tongues. And Paul's going to make it very clear that everyone should not and cannot. And so if we say that you have to speak in tongues to show you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're saying something that's not in line with the rest of Scripture. And we'll talk more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit briefly when we get to verses 12 and 13. Next, I believe that tongues are clearly nowhere near the most important gifts. Chapters 13 and 14 are going to make that very, very clear. A couple more things about tongues. Paul spoke in tongues. You don't have to like it. It's in the Bible, so you need to believe it. Furthermore, Paul wished that all the Corinthians could speak in tongues. Again, strongly implying that they couldn't. Paul also is going to state in the coming chapters that in public worship, tongues must be limited and interpreted or they must not occur in public worship. Paul clearly values prophecy exponentially more than, the, than tongues within the context of public worship. As I've already stated, tongues seem to be unintelligible, mysterious, and unable to be understood by both the speaker and those listening. And Paul's going to go on to state in the coming chapters that speaking in tongues will cease or become useless. The reason I called that a preview is that in the coming weeks, come back to hear chapters 13 and 14, where all of your questions about tongues and prophecy will be answered. Ken, are you preaching the next couple weeks? That's right, Chris Weeks will come and preach. So I'm punting back to Chris on tongues and prophecy to answer more of these questions in the coming weeks. Thus the preview. Let's now look at verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Paul here is addressing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at Kent City Baptist Church, we believe baptism is very important. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place when, at the moment of faith, when we have confessed in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, and we have believed that God has raised him from the dead, I believe Scripture teaches that the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is a guarantee of the inheritance that we have received and a demonstration of the union we have with Christ. Water baptism is an outward symbol of this inward reality that's already taken place. And at Kent City Baptist Church, we believe that the best outward symbol is the immersion of believers because it symbolizes our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection and newness of life. And that water baptism is that outward public symbol of this inward baptism which has already taken place. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, some of you might be saying, it seems like there's times where people trusted in God and didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit immediately. And if you're saying that, I would say, good catch. That is true. But again, I believe there's some very unique and special things happening in the book of Acts within this history of God's plan of redemption. And I believe part of what happened with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts was to symbolize the union of the church both in Jerusalem and in the surrounding regions for Gentile believers. I believe the normative way of the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place when we express our faith in Christ. And as I've already stated, I don't believe tongues demonstrate that baptism or that all believers should try or be able to speak in tongues. It's the incredible diversity of the Trinity that is the source of these varied spiritual gifts. And Paul here, as I've already mentioned, lists the ones that pertain to the corporate worship of the church. Throughout the rest of this passage, Paul's going to go on in verses 14 to 26 to give an illustration of the various members of the body of Christ. And he makes the point that if the whole body were made up of eyes, how would you hear anything? Or if the whole body was made up of ears, how would you see anything? And Paul's case is clearly to the church that it is God's good intention and design that the body is made up of different parts and that the Spirit has given different gifts and abilities to different people, all for the purpose of helping each other. Then, as I mentioned, Paul's going to list in verses 27 to 30 a different list of spiritual gifts, and he's going to include some different offices or positions within the church that are gifts. And they're not all in the same order. And then if you look at verses 29 to 31, Paul's going to clearly make the case that not everyone should have all the same gifts. He says, beginning in verse 29, Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the gift of the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And in chapter 13, Paul's going to talk about the most important gifts. A better way of all. I believe we can summarize Paul's main point of this passage in this. Our triune God's radiant beauty and goodness is displayed through the Spirit's gifting of the body of church. 
There's unity and yet diversity within the Trinity, and there is unity and diversity within the body of Christ. And if we fight against that, I believe we're fighting against the very character and nature of God. I want to take a moment to address anyone who might be here and you're unsure of what you think about Jesus. All of this talk about the body of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and tongues probably sounds incredibly bizarre. If that's you, it's really easy to look at the church, to look at people you know who are in the church, who are imperfect, and say, I have no time for people who live like that. People who fight amongst themselves like they do. That's not completely unfair or completely untrue, but that is not the most important question that you need to wrestle with. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you are unsure what you think of Jesus and you don't really know if you believe he was who he said he was or did what he said he did, you need to wrestle with the question, is Jesus Lord? Because you are going to say Jesus is Lord. The question is, when will you say Jesus is Lord? And I implore you not to wait until it is too late. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, I believe Paul's message for us is very simple to understand and difficult to apply. I believe it is to trust God and build up the body. I say trust God because Paul tells us that the Spirit is the one who distributes these gifts and he has decided which gift each person should have in verse 11. We must trust God's goodness and wisdom concerning the gifts the Spirit gives. It's been a hard year. It's been difficult for every single one of us in different ways that the person next to us does not fully understand or appreciate. I believe a lot of our fighting and quarreling comes from envy that some of us are not gifted in the way we wish we were. It's really easy to look at someone else who is incredibly gifted in some special way and to wish we were gifted in that same way. It's really easy for us to be insecure about how God has made us and how He's gifted us. But brothers and sisters, we must believe that God is wiser than we are and He has given to each of you the gifts He intended. And furthermore, I think it's appropriate to say that while the Spirit gives special gifts to help and build up the body, we also have natural abilities that are different. And just because someone else might be more gifted than you in some area doesn't mean you can't faithfully serve in some area that you might not necessarily be the strongest in. But earnestly seek to build up the body of Christ by serving one another. We have to remember that the only appropriate context for serving God and using our gifts is within the body of Christ. Even if it's messy, even if it's hard, even if that person frustrates us because we know they do. 
we need to love and serve the body. And if you are someone who, like myself, if I'm honest, has been frustrated with people within the church, pray for those people that you are frustrated with. It is so hard to stay mad at someone you're praying for. Believe me, I've tried. But brothers and sisters, today, my hope and my prayer for you is that you will not be the recipient of abuse by people claiming one gift is more important than others. And may God, by his Spirit, empower us to trust his goodness with the gifts he's given each of us. And may he strengthen us to serve and love the body of Christ.